The VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 669, recorded on November 30th, 669th edition of the TV Gaming Podcast. Nice. And the 502nd episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Terr. I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry and a gaming flashback. Right. So um, I have to edit this thing quick because early in the morning at around 7 a.m., I'm going to be on the train to PAX Unplugged. And um, here's the thing. Board games are becoming more my thing than even video games. The only thing is that video games you can play by yourself. Board games, unless they have a solo mode, usually require you to be with other people. But here, I don't like playing solo board games all that much. You know, for me, board games are a social experience, which is why you pick up little pieces and you move them around and you deal uh, deal cards and roll dice, that sort of thing. Mm. Yes. Are there any uh, are there any particular board games you're eyeing as you head out there, or are you gonna just explore as you go? A lot of people have been talking about something called Turing Project, which was already released, but it's like very high in demand. You know, not many out there, so I may pick that up if it's there. I heard that's probably gonna be out by the time I get there, but then again, I am pressed, so I get in early. <laughs> um, have you have? When's the last time either of you went to a PAX? That would never. Be- <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Scott. Oh, did you say just never? Right, never. Really? You've never gone to a... Where do you live again? You live in Toronto, right? Florida. Florida. No, oh, Florida. okay. You're thinking oh, they, Dan. They do have... Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of Dan. They do have a PAX Southwest, which I think is in Texas. But um, there's only one PAX Unplugged. It's in Philadelphia. But I strongly suggest you check it out. How about you, TJ? Uh, the last time I went to PAX was before the Death Stranding in, uh, when PAX South had its last PAX South in 2020. Really? They haven't brought it back yet? Nope. Uh, uh, you know, the first PAX was PAX in Seattle, now called PAX Prime. And I've been to almost every single PAX East. The only time I didn't go was last year because I couldn't. Um I was there when they were in the Heinz Convention Center and it was cramped as hell. And uh, this time, this is my second PAX Unplugged. And uh, last time, I was both media and exhibitor because I was helping out Slugfest Games, uh, the people who did Red Dragon Inn. Anyways, I promised to have a lot of video footage, which I'm going to put in my public access show. So <laughs> look out for it. What have you been playing, uh, TJ? Um, I have been playing the holy heck out of oh, – what was it? I just – had it on my head. Uh, Pokemon. I <laughs> I went. Oh God, the disaster that is Pokemon. We will talk you about say, that. We will talk about say, that later. <laughs> you say disaster. I say new chapter. And I uh, I'll explain <laughs> later. Okay. Um, as for me, I've been playing a lot of Elite Dangerous lately. Um, and also deliberately playing on my Xbox so I can get some achievements. But I have been. Sort of in the new uh, update that was 
was that was yesterday. And um, for those who don't know, uh, the aliens have invaded the Fargoids or Thargoids or whatever they're called, and they're murdering people, and people are murdering back. But me, I'm a conscientious objector. I haven't been bothering with that at all. All I've been doing is taking my gigantic space bus and ferrying people around. <laughs> I also played Pentiment. It's okay. Uh, it's something you would expect from Josh Sawyer. And um, there's probably some other new stuff that I've been playing that I completely forgot about. Um, oh, yeah. So the Game Awards are going on, right? Uh, are about to go on. And um, I noticed that some games, of course, were nominated, uh, like um, uh, uh, A Plague Tale. But there was one game I did not know existed. But seeing the description of it made me go, hmm, this seems like it might be my ship. So I downloaded, I haven't played it yet, I'll probably play it after PAX Unplug, Citizen Sleeper. Um, have you heard of that game? Yes. Okay. So basically, Citizen Sleeper is a die-rolling game in which you have to allocate dice to <laughs> various stuff. And like I said, it seems like it might be my ship, because that's, sort of, that's the sort of game that I enjoy playing. Have you played it? Uh, I have not played it myself. What do you know of it? Um, not too much. I know, uh, I know of it as a game, but like, wait, hold on, let me. So in the game, you have you're assigned dice and you have to assign them to different things, and basically you have to decide where to allocate stuff. Right. And it's a, it's um, some people have called it sort of like uh, a Disco Elysium, but in space. Huh. So yeah, there are a lot. So there are a lot of narrative, a lot of narrative decisions here. Again, it seems like my shit, and I will have a report on it when I start actually playing it. Um, I could play it on my cell phone, but I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's twenty dollars on Steam, so it's not like some gigantic game. But it was nominated for an award at the Game Awards, so it, it's doing something right. <laughs> Uh, the developer is Jump Over the Edge, by the way, and they also did um, In Other Waters. If you know that game. Anyways. I don't uh, know that one. Anyways, what have you been playing, Scott? I've been playing uh, Grow, The Song of the Evertree. It is a very chill, relaxed um, farming and town building game in which you are the uh, you're the cult, the apprentice, but basically you're the last of this group of people that was tending to this world tree where uh, it has been overrun by these wither plants that have, uh, you know, strangled the life out of it. And you have to regrow things and, and take it back from that wither. And uh, you're finding, like, pieces of a, of a song to help you power up your growing abilities. And they, they have one line that I thought was kind of funny, was it said, here are all your tools. Don't worry, they won't break on you. So, um, so I thought that was a Kind so, of a nod to all the games that have well, tools that wear out. You know who the developer of this is, right? Hmm? You know who the developer uh, is. It's Prideful Sloth. You might know them for making Yonder. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it was Yonder. Okay, that was the game I was thinking of. Uh, this game is a little bit more engaging than Yonder, I think, because they, they give you a threat, but it's like I said, it's a very peaceful, chill game. You're never attacked <laughs> well, anything. Hello, that's what they do. Yonder was a very chill, peaceful game, too. Yeah, but it's still... <laughs> Yonder, this, this still has more direction than Yonder did. Yonder, you just... 
go do whatever. But here you kind of have a mission. You're specifically growing these little worlds and uh, you tend to them. You grow the plant, you, you be eating all this stuff. And then you send it out on its way, make a new one, and you're rebuilding the, the various towns, selecting what villagers. So I feel a little bit more engaged uh, than I did on Yonder. I, it just felt like uh, it was a little too open-ended in Yonder, I guess. Well, where would you get it for? The Switch? Uh, no, for Steam. Steam. Okay. Yeah, Steam. Yeah, it's on uh, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and Windows. Mm-hmm. And also Luna, which is interesting. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a very chill game. It came out last year. You know, sort of like, you know, do what you want. But um, Game Watcher gave it 9 out of 10. It seems like they just took Yonder and said, you know, we're going to put some more stuff in it. Yeah. I just I, I like it so far. It's fun game. I mean, if you if you like chill town building, Stardew Valley like games or whatever, it's nice. It, it has some puzzles. It has caves and dungeons to explore and hidden stuff to find. But it's uh, it, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't send enemies at you, so it's no there's no fighting. Um, but it's still a nice game, I think, and I like having sort of a direction, a, you know, these are your tasks, this this is your goal that you want to work towards. I think that helps feel more engaged than just go do whatever kind of thing. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on to the gaming flashback. The gaming flashback for this week is Infamous 2. Infamous 2 is an action-adventure video game produced uh, developed by Sucker Punch Productions and published by Sony Computer Entertainment for the PlayStation 3 game, video game console. It's a sequel to the 2009 video game Infamous. Announced on June 4, 2010, the game was released on June 7, 2011. Uh, the story follows protagonist Cole McGrath and his quest in New Marias to grow powerful enough to be able to face his nemesis, the Beast. Cole possesses electricity-based uh, superpowers, which are then used in combat and navigating the city. Uh, the player is given several opportunities to use these powers for good or selfish purposes in the game's karma system. The uh, karma system affects what powers become available and the reaction of the city's populace towards Cole and the story. Uh, development on Infamous 2 began, began immediately after Sucker Punch released the first game, uh, b- uh, led by returning game director Nate Fox. The game's music was composed by James Dooley, Brian Mantia, the, ga- the band Galactic, and Jonathan Mayer. Uh, both the game's music and fictional city were inspired by New Orleans. Jason Cottle, the original voice actor for Cole, was replaced by Eric Layden as Sucker Punch wanted someone who could perform Cole's physical uh, reactions with motion capture, a new addition to the spe- uh, series. Uh, the game was generally well-received by the gaming media upon release. Praise was particularly directed at its city design, traversal, and graphics. It was criticized for its karma system and camera. A uh, standalone expansion titled Infamous Festival of Blood was released on October 25, 2011. That was its Halloween uh, episode. And Infamous Second Son, a sequel for PlayStation 4, was released on March 21st, 2014. Yeah, the Karma system was just very binary, and, you know, it seemed like it was tacked on. But um, it was it was an improvement over the first Infamous. Uh, I, I assume you played it, TJ. The only Infamous I've played is uh, the spinoff one. Oh, I think it's Second Son? Second Son, that's the one. Okay. Um, I played the first one, but I never played the second one. Uh, it just, it, it, it was very, not very in-depth karma system. I guess, like you said, it's tacked on. Uh, I did play Protocol, <laughs> and if the first game had that quote-unquote rivalry, it wasn't that much of a rivalry with the, um, with the first, uh, with, uh, Protocol. Uh, both very different games, though. Uh, one of them had you punching a helicopter as 
Penny Arcade once said. <laughs> I always re- remember thinking like this this era of games like this where we had Infamous and <laughs> we can all blame Crackdown for this. I know, but I also think that Crackdown kind of ruined it with uh by be- <laughs> like especially with Crackdown three. Where Crackdown 3 came out anything. years and years ago. No, Crackdown 3 came out two years ago. Yeah, but it also sucked. It wasn't... Nah, it didn't suck. It was just okay. <laughs> it was okay. I just feel like Crackdown 3 was kind of the end of this era of games for a while, and uh, I miss it because I really liked... Uh, what was it? Prototype. Prototype was my favorite of one of these. Okay. Um... Terrible lead character, but the, the the amount of crazy things you could do in the game was so fun. And I know that Infamous was a, people liked Infamous for very similar reasons. Where you like the more you grow your powers, the more crazy things you can do throughout the city. And I I I always thought that was a very cool idea. I just didn't have the console for it at the time. You know, all that needs to revive it is just to have another Hulk game come out. That would be fun. Uh, Scott, mute your, your your mic, please. If you're gonna have all that in the background. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, all you need is another Hulk game because the superhero open world game basically just requires the Hulk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind even just another prototype game because I really liked those games. Yeah, the prototype game, the prototype two was depressing because you ended up having um having uh, uh what's his face as the villain. Protagonist from the first game. Yeah, but that's kind of good because the protagonist from the second game is likable and the protagonist from the first game is a complete asshole. We find out that the protagonist from the first game was already the creature fighting himself. Mm hmm. And uh, it's it's just a very interesting it's a very interesting game. Anyways, we're going to move on to game news. Go ahead, TJ. Okay. Reports suggest that Microsoft soon to offer concessions in Activision deal from PC Gamer. Remember Phil Spencer telling everyone he'd been open to a, quote, longer-term commitment with Sony over access to Call of Duty? Well, it looks like he meant it. Sources tell Reuters that uh, that uh, Microsoft is gearing up to offer concessions to, the, to EU regulators regarding its acquisition of Activision Blizzard, consisting mainly of a 10-year offer to, for, to Sony to keep uh, Call of Duty on PlayStation. Microsoft has already talked publicly about a deal like this before. Last week, it came out that Microsoft apparently offered Sony a 10-year con- COD contract directly, which Sony refused to comment on. And now seems that Microsoft is willing to put that contract to the regulators themselves, letting them decide if it would be sufficient to settle their jitters. It could very well be successful. The regulatory pressure that Microsoft has encountered so far has largely revolved around its competitors' access to Call of Duty, rather than broad questions of of industry consolidation and monopolization. Both the UK and EU watchdogs initiated deeper phase two investigations of the deal amid a lot of verbiage about Call of Duty, while the FTC is rumored to be preparing a challenge to the acquisition soon. Even Brazilian regulators who approved the acquisition said it might negatively impact Sony's access to Call of Duty. They just thought it was more Sony's problem than Brazil's. So there's another thing uh, recently came out that, you know, uh, Call of Duty really doesn't affect Sony all that much if it was to suddenly vanish. And I kind of agree with that. I mean, when you buy a PlayStation, is it because, yeah, man, I'm going to play Call of Duty on this thing? 
Or is it more like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play God of War. I'm going to play uh, Infamous. I'm going to play I'm going to play uh, The Last of Us. I'm going to play uh, Bloodborne. You know, all the core games. When I think of Call of Duty, I don't think of it as a Sony product. I don't think playing Call of Duty as anything. What I think happened is that Sony is just whining about Call of Duty because it sounds bigger than it really is, you know, and it sounds like, well, they're going to take Call of Duty from, yeah, well, you took Spider-Man away from them. You're taking Final Fantasy away from them. That's a kind of a big game. And then Sony says, well, Microsoft's going to start raising their prices and raising the cons- uh, price. That's what you're doing, Sony. You raise the prices to 70 bucks and you raise your console price. What are you talking about? Everything Microsoft is doing, you have already done. <laughs> yeah. Uh <clears throat> It's it's been interesting to see how Sony has responded to this. So they've been way more aggressive about like uh, what they believe Microsoft is going to do with this deal than Microsoft itself. Um, and, oh, by the way, you know um, what's funny is that they say, well, they have all these monopoly. What about Minecraft? Oh yeah, monopoly. Minecraft is Minecraft. We don't care. Minecraft is something else. No, it isn't. Microsoft could have made Microf- uh, my- uh, Minecraft an exclusive to PC and Xbox. They didn't. Um, it's still available on Switch and PlayStation easily. You know, it's also uh, you know, it's also uh, Oni is on Switch, both games. Um, Microsoft allowed Cuphead to go multi-platform, and it's now on PlayStation Two. You know, um, what about uh, the Elder Scrolls Online? That's on PlayStation. So is Fallout seventy six. So is a bunch of other games, live service games that are that are Microsoft has multi-platform. I mean, Minecraft VR is exclusive to the PlayStation. It just it just saddens me that 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 Call of Duty is the only uh, IP they Sony seems to be focusing on. I mean, this is kind of why I complain about Sony is that Activision Blizzard has so many IPs under its belt, especially you know the Sierra titles, which Phil Spencer actually referenced. So you know, it just it just makes me feel like Sony has a very narrow view on what games they should be investing in or. I mean, it's like, yeah, you're right, Jonah. They they have all these other games on there, and all they can think about is Call of Duty. And that's I mean, what if Microsoft makes Crash Bandicoot exclusive to Xbox? What about Spyro? Sony doesn't care about those titles, apparently? Apparently not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, why aren't they complaining about, um, you know, Indiana Jones being exclusive to Xbox and PC? We, we don't even know what kind of game is going to be. Oh, we already know what kind of game it is. It's um, it's Machine Games. You know what, what kind of game they're going to make. Uh, first, first As a matter of fact, no. Um, they actually talked about it today, uh, the Indiana Jones game, and they were really high on it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, wait. Why would uh, – does Activision Blizzard have Indiana Jones? I thought that was EA or uh... – That was Bethesda. Oh, okay. Bethesda has is making the new uh, Indiana Jones game. All righty. Um, They're also making. I, I'm real more interested in contraband because I would love a version of the uh, of the heist uh, gameplay from Grand Theft Auto V, but it doesn't suck. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know. Like, oh, here's the other thing. <laughs> Mike, uh, Sony is, uh, is said that Microsoft refused to have PlayStation Plus on the Xbox. Well, and also, like, <laughs> is that your is that your complaint? There was, <laughs> One of the things that Sony latched onto, and it may have been Microsoft's own fault in this particular scenario, but Microsoft essentially said that uh, 
it has all these properties already, and it doesn't threaten Nintendo, so why would it threaten Sony? No, no, they're Nintendo. They release Nintendo. They release Xbox games on Nintendo. <laughs> to which, to which, uh, Sony responded, "Oh, so you're trying to make us out to be another Nintendo? Well, we're not. We directly compete with you." And that caught some ears. So, like, that was that could have been considered a blunder on Microsoft's part. And I, I think that's think so. a part. It is because that's part of where these new Microsoft are Microsoft's competition is is Google and Amazon right now. Not everybody agrees with that. And well, then, then people can ask why does uh, why does Microsoft uh, rent out uh, their cloud service to Sony? Yeah, but the whole point is that they they in say in comparing Sony to Nintendo, they gave Sony's lawyers the chance to say we're not Nintendo, we directly compete with you. <laughs> okay. And so and, and and because of that. Now you've got new EU investigations opening up, and this rumor of the FTC filing a lawsuit. Uh, the actually the FTC lawsuit's not happening. They, uh, that hasn't been confirmed yet. They they what's it called? They've they've backed off on that, from what I understand. Regardless, they, regardless, um, Microsoft wouldn't roll the dice on something they wouldn't win. But the thing is that Mike, uh, everything that Sony says, Microsoft uh, actually released today a, a really big uh, counter argument. That um, I, I'm not going to get into right now. So let's move on to the next. Everybody else can discuss it. Let us know in the uh, listener comments. Uh, so let's move on to the next item. Two Point Campus boldly goes into space for brand new expansion. This comes to us from Eurogamer. Two Point Studios has announced the first expansion uh, for a spoof school strategy game set Two Point Campus Space Academy. The expansion will add three new campus locations, six student archetypes, six new courses of classrooms, and more. The courses include anti-gravity training and space combat. The command room will allow students to develop uh, leadership skills, and the campuses will be filled with astronauts, space knights, and even alien students. Uh, you can read space knights as Jedi knights, because if you see the trailer. Uh, the players will begin in University, uh, tasked with rebuilding Two Point County's defunct space program, taking them on a resource-gathering journey to outer space. What's more, the new a new time-traveling club will be added, and players will be able to host their own sci-fi convention in the student union. Uh, Space Academy will cost 10 bucks uh, across PC, PlayStation, and Xbox consoles on December 6th and Nintendo Switch on December 12th. So I, I'm looking forward to this because I have to admit, after I unlock, after I beat all of the, um, all the campuses, you know, different types of, I just stopped playing. I said, yeah, that's it. I got it. I, you know, I don't know what it is. It's like maybe I just wanted to take a step back. Maybe having this DLC will will entice me back. Uh, but it was one of the more fun games I played this year. Yeah, I'm on the opposite end. I've enjoyed very much playing Two Point Campus frequently. I love this. I love this game. I love a good management game in general, and there's there's enough going on in Two Point Campus that I enjoy playing through the campaign, and I enjoy playing in the sandbox. I think for me it was more like. Um, a little bit of an overload. You know, it's like, okay, I've had enough. Maybe I'll come back to it later. I can see that. Um, that said, I like it's, it's probably if there was a, if there's a category for best strategy game of 2022, that's where I would go. I like that game more than I like most other game, uh, most other strategy games that have come out this year. I liked it better than two point hospital. And I liked it better than evil genius too. That's interesting. You, I thought you liked evil genius too. It was okay, but here's the problem. 
you can never lose because your scientists will just beat the crap out of any agents that come to them. It's like, yeah, all this base building, yeah, yeah, and whatever. Just have your guy just beat the crap out of them, and he'll, everything will be fine. I see. So too easy, in your opinion? Sort of. Sort of. I mean, there are certain things that are difficult, things that are out of my control, but I know I'll never lose because my my evil genius will just beat the crap out of any secret agents that get within range of him. Yeah. And like in two point campus on the flip side, you can you can lose without oh God. Like even you can lose without even realizing it. All you have to do is run out of money and then you're basically at a standstill until uh, something happens and you run out of loans and, you know. Yeah, I mean, very more often than not, I'll recognize when my 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 campus is going down the tubes, and I'll just restart and and try a different tactic. But um, I love the idea of this. Like, not only I didn't re- like, I thought it was just going to be like space stuff, but they're doing six different courses that you can do with uh, this, uh, and three new campuses. That's a lot of content. Because like one campus t- takes a pretty long time to complete in the main game, so like. I don't know. I'm really excited about like all the possibilities here. And the final, the final campus in which you have your pick of anything. I always pick the archaeology one because that's just a money maker. Mm-hmm. You just dig up money, <laughs> basically. And then um, one of the other things to complement it, depending on my mood. Uh, so we're going to move on to the next item, uh, Scott. You can take the next one right now. I have to do this one because I want. TJ to, re- to respond to this one. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet sells 10 million units in three days. And this comes from Shaq News. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet sold over 10 million units globally in its just first three days. This is a new record for the Pokemon series, which dates back to Red and Green's original uh, Japanese release in 1996. News comes via a corporate press release released by Nintendo of Japan on Wednesday. Scarlet and Violet had simultaneous worldwide launch on November 18th and managed to sell over 10 million units in just its first three days. Uh, this is remarkable concerning several factors, including the date's proximity to Black Friday, and they did not receive any sort of holiday discount. This is the ninth generation of base Pokemon series, and the series the sales record includes the core titles, uh, as well as various spin-offs like Pokemon Legends of Arceus, which took almost two months to surpass the 10 million unit sales milestone, and new Pokemon Snap. The other noteworthy thing about this is that Pokemon and Violet sales come in the wake of some very heavy dissatisfaction over the state of the games at launch. Well, there's a lot to be happy about. Uh, heavy performance issues and egregious glitches were undeniable. Some players have been able to overlook these issues, but others have go so far as request refunds. According to at least one Reddit post, Nintendo appears to be approving these refunds. So the Metacritic f- uh, score for Scarlet and Violet is 2.9, which is – it's been going down. Uh, and that's not just – the other problem that a lot of people have is that they the graphics are stale. They, they don't update the graphics. I mean, at a certain point, I don't think they can. I think a part they of can. it... Well, it's it's a couple of different things, but well, nonetheless... Well, you know the main function of these games, right? They're, these games are there to support the merchandise. Right. However, I'm having a good time with it, and I'm not the only one out there. I'm okay. far from the only one out there. Well, tell us, tell us I, why you're having a good time while other people are giving it a 3 out of 10. <laughs> So, the, it was actually a few of my friends that have been playing the game despite the bad reviews that talked me into it. And the reason they got me into it was also something I was kind of eyeing in the first place. This is the first mainline Scar- uh, Pokemon game where they've actually 
and where they've actually built an open world. And what I mean by that is that every other Pokemon game requires you to follow. A, it, it's the path guys yeah. of an open world, but you have the path that you have to take through the gem leaders to get to the Elite Four, to get to the legendary Pokemon. Oh, look, there's a big rock in the way. How am I going to get rid of that rock to get to the next area? Well, I guess I'm going to have to go to the gym member and get blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah, it's it's basically a, one big key unlocking game, uh, basically, yeah. in the series. And so Scarlet and Violet, what it does well, despite all the – I agree. It's not, a, it's not anywhere near a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination, and some of the bugs that it came out with are unacceptable. But what it does right is implement that open world in a way that makes it feel like I can actually go wherever the hell I feel like. And the 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 fact that they put the Pokemon on the overworld and don't hide them behind tall grass and random encounters anymore makes the world feel more alive and makes me want to actually stop and look around at various points and see if there's Pokemon that I haven't caught in an area. It's akin to tripping onto various side quests and random encount and and encounters in games like Witcher Three or Horizon, where I I really it it's like it's it could be considered video game chores, but the discoverability factor is so fun to me that I don't feel like I'm doing a chore, and I guess that's where why why I'm like a little bit more forgiving is because I see the bugs. I see the issues and some of them have even affected my gameplay at certain points, but I'm having such a good time exploring and going my own way that it's, I get distracted from those flaws. Scott, have you been, have you played Pokemon lately? I've not played any Pokemon games ever. I just Ah. not been a series I've been interested in. Not even once. Really? I last ge- Pokemon game uh, it was before Ruby and Sapphire. I had a long time since I last played a Pokemon game. I think the last Pokemon game I played was on DS. <laughs> I played up to I played all the original ones up to uh, Silver and Gold, and then I took a break for a long time because I was getting bored with it. And, and then I came That's back for problem. X and Y, and I bounced right off because it was the same as the as the reason I got bored in the first place. <laughs> All the Pokemon games are the same. That's why I haven't played. You know, I don't play. I mean, here's the thing. I did play uh, Enix's and uh, not Square Enix. Enix's uh, Dragon Monster Hunter. No, Dragon. It's a Dragon game. It's a Dragon Quest game, but it's a Pokemon game. I forgot the name of it, but it was before Square and Enix made the merger, and I was really enjoying that game because it did a little. It, did, it had a lot of twists to it that uh, that was better than the Pokemon games. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet is is uh, is different from other Pokemon games because you still catch monsters, you still do gym battles, you still look for legendary Pokemon. But I am saying that for me personally, uh, building it into an actual open world experience and letting me do whatever I feel like doing kindled a addressed an issue that I've had with this series for a long time and I feel it's implemented well enough to keep me on board and make me want to keep going. Yeah, it was called wrong either because I want, I want this, I want them to fix these bugs. These bugs are stupid. And 
I would love to see this game polished up to a better working form or even released in a better form on better hardware. Right. I played uh, Dragon Warrior Monsters 2. That's the game I played. Ah, there you go. It was only Enix. Yeah, that's been a while. Uh, I couldn't even remember uh, having a... I couldn't even remember them having like a, po- a monster collection game in the Dragon Quest series, but I'm sure they do because that game, that franchise is full of spinoffs. Yeah, it was actually pretty fun. It had monster raising into it. Part of it was the fact that you were, you would raise two different species and get a new species out of it. You know, it was, it was, it was interesting. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to move to the last item. Uh, go ahead, Scott. Okay. Monster Hunter Rise reportedly heading to PlayStation and Xbox in January. This is from Eurogamer. <clears throat> Monster Hunter Rise will reportedly be making the jump to PlayStation and Xbox in January next year. Rise initially launched as a Switch console exclusive last March, with the PC release arriving in January this year. Both versions then received the game's major Sunbreak expansion in July. And now it seems Monster Hunter Rise is ready to spread its Rathlow-sized wings once more, with prolific leaker Tom Henderson's insider gaming reporting Capcom will bring the acclaimed title to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS, and the Game Pass on 20th January 2023. Henderson claimed the current-gen version will be a 4K6 port, with a 3D audio and Rise's Sunbreak expansion will arrive on the new platform at some point in spring. If Insider Games' claims of a January release date turn out to be true, it's likely Capcom will be wanting to make its big announcement sooner rather than later, suggesting a potential reveal during the Game Awards on the 8th of December. Monster Hunter Rise has been a significant hit for Capcom on Switch and PC, recently uh, surpassing 11 million sales, and Sunbreak, its Sunbreak expansion has now sold over 4.4 million copies. Have you played, uh, you were playing Rise, weren't you, TJ? I was, yes. I uh, I actually haven't cracked the uh, expansion yet because there was way too many other things to play. But uh, <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed what, uh, what was in the core game. Interesting that it also is coming to Game Pass. Yeah, I mean, this game came to uh, PC this year. After after launching on uh, Switch last year, so like I would have expected it to make it over to the other consoles at some point. Anyways, the real question is when are they going to put crossplay in this game? Because if it's going to be on that many consoles, they should offer hunters a way to meet up with each other across platform. Well, we'll find out probably at the Game Awards. And trust me, if, if there's cross platform play, that'll be something they announce. It's a big yeah, for sure. I think they would get a lot out of adding crossplay to this, though, if they're going to bring it to PlayStation and Xbox alongside where it is on Switch and PC already. Which don't have cross-platform play. Right. Oh. Anyways, uh, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. We enjoy feedback. See us comments at our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, set us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us some iTunes comments. Uh, you can find me on Jonah Falcon on Twitter, uh, such as it is. By the way, um, there was a lot of Elon Musk news I could have posted, but I, that last week's pot, that was it. No more. No more. <laughs> no more discussion of Elon Musk. No. No discussion of FTX either. Uh, that's it. There's a crypto. There's a crypto hold on this podcast. I don't care what he's do. Either one is doing. 
Elon can go screw himself. Anyways, you can fu- you can you can you can still find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. I'm still there at Johnny Chugs for now. I'm there on Charter Moore. And uh, we will see you next week uh, as I report on stuff at PAX Unplugged. Um, you know, there's a board game adapt- adaptation of Heroes of Might and Magic 3, which I'm hoping will be there because that really interests me. I didn't back it because I have way too much stuff, but it I just like the concept. I saw what it, what it included, and it's like... Uh, do I want to pay that much for it? No, I'm getting Slay the Spire. So, because I play, I current, I still play Slay the Spire. Uh, that's much like like Scott plays a lot of Minecraft. I still play a lot of Slay of the Spire. Well, have a have a blast at Pax Unplugged. Tell us about some good board games. Yep. We will see you next week, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all. <laughs>